This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, this is Christina Blanche, co-writer of The Damnation of Charlie Wormwood, now available from Dynamite and on Thrillbit.com. My contributor to All Yeah Comics, I run MOOCs online, and I am co-owner of Alter Ego Comics and All Yeah Comics. And you are listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 180! Every time you do that, I tell you, I can go back and quote like actual... But then what will I do? I'm starting to wonder. Of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, October 1st. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein. And when I'm not ignoring Joe Patrick's obvious concussion symptoms and setting him in front of the mic to perform anyway, I'm writing a comic speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick at... Just read. Joe. Just read it. You're doing fine. Joe Patrick uh, 11.6 on the Twitter. And I'm not real sure how I got here. Into, into the microphone. There you go. What? He's fine. He's fine. What folks. are we talking about? Matt just said that I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee. I don't like coffee. <laughs> Omaha. In this week's episode, you'll hear our slightly biased reviews of Master Plasty. You really took that joke like I and ran with it. <laughs> I thought you might just a little bit, but you know, it's gonna require some heavy editing now. And Gotham Academy number one. After that, we're gonna review ten more of this week's Look, new comics. Brain injuries are no joke. That's true. That's true. Sorry, Michigan quarterback guy, for what happened to you. Faster than we can ready our Ebola escape plan during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN, the Sanctum Sanctorum. Where psychedelic scroll drugs will allow our brains to change shape and thereby learn the secrets of next week's comics. Trippy. And finally, one nerd will plead his case for director Mark Webb's second film in his Spidey franchise in front of the two-headed judge when we host our Defenders segment. So... Cancel your plans to hop the White House fence because it sounds like those clowns in the Secret Service are going to be forced to do their job now. And then we can talk about this week's big news. We got big news. Oh, it's me. Yeah. Dark Horse Comics. Concussion is really getting. <laughs> Dark Horse Comics has announced that they will publish Frankenstein Underground, a new five-issue miniseries coming in 2015, written by Mike Mignola with covers by Mignola and interior art by Baltimore artist Ben Stenbeck. He is awesome. The miniseries follows the Frankenstein monster who is alone, abandoned, and wandering underground where he discovers both other monsters and the dark secrets to the universe. Whoa. The miniseries will be the second appearance of the Frankenstein monster within the mythology and continuity of the Mignolaverse. The character first appeared in the House of the Living Dead graphic novel by Mignola and artist Richard Corbin. In a press release, Mignola said, quote... It's intimidating as hell to take on an icon like the Frankenstein monster. I'm trying to do something that's true to the origin Mary Shelley created for the creature, but also captures a bit of the feel that Boris Karloff brought to the role in the classic Universal films. At the same time, I'm throwing the monster into an entirely new environment, so I think the result will be something new. It's an odd one, but ultimately will add an important new wrinkle to the Hellboy slash BPRD world, end quote. Dark Horse editor-in-chief Scott Alley added, quote, This version of the Frankenstein monster has the same thirst for knowledge readers will remember from Mary Shelley's novel. The monster takes the reader through some of the biggest mysteries of the Mignolaverse, 
shedding new light on important stuff we've only touched on before. And quote, Matt, more Mignolaverse is always welcome. Are you pumped for this? I love the Mignolaverse. I love Hellboy. I love BPRD. I love Frankenstein being there as well. I love Ben Stenbeck. Totally love it. Yeah. Every part of this is super exciting. My favorite Frankenstein is smart Frankenstein. And we don't get that enough. Like, I like classic movie this Frankenstein, This is probably too. smart Frankenstein, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what he just said. It's Mar- it's the one from Mary Shelley's novel. He's hungry for knowledge. It's Robert he's, De Niro. He's not walking around going, fire, burn. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Robert De Niro. Yeah. Yeah. More than uh, Kevin Nealon. It's Kevin Nealon that played Frankenstein. It was Phil Hartman. It was Phil Hartman. Hartman. That's right. Fireman! <laughs> yeah. This just sounds totally awesome. And if anybody's going to make Frankenstein completely kick ass, it's Mike Mignola. Totally. I am excited for this. It was a very happy announcement to, to see this week. Uh, I hope that Ben Stenbeck is not gone from Baltimore for too long. Well, I mean, but Baltimore is a part-time gig. It's like yeah, one it story is. a year, maybe, if that. I hope so. I hope I, so. Because I, I, I really love that guy on that book. Yeah, fantastic. But this sounds great. I can't wait. Internet rapper Eugene Ahn, better known as Adam Warrock, has announced that he will be holding a 24-hour rapathon this month on October 18th, with a percentage of the proceeds going to benefit the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, a.k.a. R-A-I-N-N. Rain. Rain. Come well, on. I wanted to let them know there's two N's. I'm going, rain and an America's largest anti-sexual assault organization. This will be the second time War Rock has held the Rapathon. Last year, he wrote, recorded, and produced 16 songs over the course of 24 hours. And now he's looking to break that record. If you're a fan of War Rock's brand of self-aware comic book and pop culture-centric hip-hop, you can pledge to the Rapathon by following these steps. Email him at rapathon, no dashes, at gmail.com. Pledge either a per song amount or a lump sum donation. Follow War Rock's progress on October 18th at adamwarrock.com. And then after the Rapathon is over, wait for an emailed instructions on how to submit your donations through PayPal. You can find more information about the Rapathon at Adam Warrock's website. And we're, of course, going to post a link in the show notes. Totally. Adam Warrock. God damn that guy. What a friggin' sweetheart. Yep, yep. I <laughs> he, love him. He's I love been him. to Legend twice now and both times. Three times. He, three times now. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, last time he was there, we learned that he turned into a magic nerd. <laughs> 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 he's turned to the dark side. Yeah. He can't stop playing magic. Mm. And if you follow him on Twitter, he talks about it all the time. Yeah, it's true. But, but what a sweet friggin' guy. It's true. Yeah. Like last year, last year he did it and 16 songs in a day. Like that's from. Coming up with the idea, finding the beat, yeah. writing the lyrics, recording it, yeah. and posting it. I mean, 16 like, times in I one day. I can tell you, uh, there's days where we don't get a fourth of one song finished in the studio when I'm at work. You know, <laughs> This is the nature of the business. And he's writing complete, thought-out, amazing rap songs. If you don't know him, go check out his stuff. Oh, AdamWarrock.com. His most recent thing. You're missing out. His most recent thing. Is her rap set to the beat of Taylor Swift's Shake It Off? Oh, God. It's amazing. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, so go to adamwarrock.com. Find out more. There's not much to talk about. Pledge. Support this good cause. Support Adam Warrock. Kick-ass guy. Kick-ass cause. Throw your money at it, guys. Do it. Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. started out as a pretty divisive show. Its viewers were split between people that hate watched it from week to week. Me. And those that urged others to give it a chance. Maybe you'll get better. Joe. 
By most accounts, it did get better yeah. in the wake of the game-changing events of Captain America, the Winter Soldier. It got fine. It got, oh, no. It's so good. Right now, it's great. Uh. But a rumor has surfaced that should make even the most cynical fan sit up and take notice. Uh. Speedball is joining the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's, that's all it's going to take for me to watch. Let me tell you. Uh, well, ooh, count me in. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Hot on the heels of Marvel announcing that former almost Wonder Woman Adrian Palicki would be joining the cast as Bobby Morse, Jeez. a.k.a. Mockingbird. I love her so much. Oh, that's because you watched that stupid football show. Oh, she was so good on that stupid football show. It's called Friday Night Lights. I got it. You watched it too. It was wonderful. I never saw it. I've never seen oh, it's it. it's excellent. Cabin in the Woods and Dollhouse star Fran Kranz posted a tweet, which he promptly deleted, that said, quote, Mockingbird, Robbie Baldwin, shield soon, end quote. Robbie Baldwin, of course, is the alter ego of founding new warrior and former Thunderbolt, though we're trying to forget that, <laughs> Speedball! If the rumor is true, Kranz's tweet implies that Robbie Baldwin may appear as soon as the fifth episode this season, which is the same one in which Bobby Morse will be introduced. Matt, how soon until the New Warrior spinoff? Look, I don't want to poop on your speedball parade. I'm not going to do, do it. Do you think it's too early to audition for the role of Rage? <laughs> I don't think you're black enough to, <laughs> to uh, go for that. But, uh, you know, whatever. We, it's 2014, knows? man. Yeah, that's right. We mix this stuff up all the time. The Human Torch is going to be black. Deal with it, you know? Here's the thing. <laughs> and I don't want to upset you here. but You're gonna. Maybe a little bit. When you hear that a character like Speedball is coming to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Does that tell you, oh, wow, look, they're tapping into some elements of the Marvel Universe that everybody knows and loves to make Marvel fans watch more? Or do you think they were like, who's a character that is absolutely not going to be used in any movies or anything important coming to the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I mean, whatever. I'm glad they're tying it to the larger universe. You know, but like Mockingbird and Speedball. Oh, now, come two on now. exceptionally unimportant characters. But Mockingbird, I would say, is a good fit because she was an Avenger. I, I don't have a problem with Mockingbird. I'm just saying, where's Mockingbird now in the comics? Like, who cares about Mockingbird? I know, she was pretty prominent there for a little while. That was like five years ago. She had a, well, sure, a Hawkeye I mean, it's, and Mockingbird It's thing. been a while since, yeah. that, since that No, there. I mean, it really, you know, next is like D-Man's going to show like, up. Dude, I don't give a <laughs> If Robbie Baldwin shows up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I will do a backflip, and if he ever once displays bouncy ball superpowers, I will call Roderick Ruth, and I will drive to Texas, and we will go out for drinks and cigars <laughs> to celebrate. There's no way he has bouncy ball superpowers. Maybe he's on heroin. That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where Joe has written his treatment for a speedball gold ball team up that he's calling Balls to the Wall. It writes itself. It truly. Every Sunday, Joe Patrick shows how big his balls really are Whoa. when he posts the question of the week I'm in the married. THN forums. That takes serious balls, let me tell you. Joe, what are we asking the balls this week? <laughs> Just because you use that term doesn't mean you can just say balls whenever you want. Balls? <laughs> 
This week's question. Here we go again. The pilot episode of The Flash airs this coming Tuesday on The CW. And we want to know what you thought of it. Watch the show. Then hit us up with your spoiler-filled opinions. Don't hold back. Chase Magnet, I'm looking at you. That's right. It's good radio, man. It is. You have until midnight this coming Friday, October 10th, to get us your answer. You can call us and leave a message with your answer using our Skype. The handle is TwoHeadedNerd, all one word. I don't think anyone has ever used it. So you would be revolutionary if you did. Or at our Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894, your answer has to be under three minutes or you're going to get cut off. Or you can send us an MP3 to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com, all one word. But again, keep it under three minutes. And if you need more time than that, go to the forums and write your full answer. You can write a book. We're not going to read it, but somebody will. <laughs> I'll probably read it. <laughs> the THN web forums is where it's happening. Get us your answers, guys. We know you love the show because we see the downloads and we get great feedback from it. If you haven't called, we would love to hear from you. Okay? So pick up the phone, turn on your mic on your computer, whatever it takes. Get us your answer. It's review time on THN where Matt and I give up on trying to get some invites to Ello and instead do what we always do and review two of this week's new comics. Couple I don't of, even know what Ello is. Couple of nerds. That's because you're a even bigger nerd than I am. Apparently. Oh, it's a new social network. They're not going to sell your info or whatever. Sure they aren't. Yeah. Until, there's, until there's money in it. Or until they go broke and it goes away. One of the two. Matt, what'd you pick to review this week? Thanks for asking, Joe. This week, I reviewed Gotham Academy, number one, written from DC, written by Becky Cloonan and Brendan Fletcher, with art by Carl Kershaw. This was 32 pages, and they drew the line at $2.99. Yeah! When was the last time they did that? Nice of them. No s***. One of my major complaints about the DC universe is the way it was softly restarted, but still managed to feel completely unconnected. I'm not a continuity monk like some of you out there, but I do like things to feel cohesive or at least like they're occurring in the same universe. Clunan and Fletcher's Gotham Academy, for the most part, ignores the rest of the DCU and creates a cozy little haunted home somewhere in Gotham. And other than Bruce Wayne stopping by, doesn't try to force itself into the new and completely splintered DCU. Here we meet Olive and her soon-to-be ex-boyfriend's little sister, Maps. See, Olive hasn't quite broken up with Kyle yet, and now she's saddled with the task of showing Kyle's first-year student little sister around campus. Can you imagine? OMG! OMG, indeed. This is just the kind of teen drama that can instantly become twee and annoying to a crotchety old bastard like myself, who can't understand a goddamn word these kids today are saying anyway. But... It's all emojis these days. It never does. Clunan and Fletcher do a fantastic job making both Olive and Maps very relatable, fun to read, and doing so without reaching for ridiculous slang or resorting to manga-like tantrums to relate to a younger audience. You know, like where one of the characters' face gets huge and teardrops are coming <laughs> out of it. It's very like, chibi. Yeah. With... The amazing art of Carl Kershaw, the team fully fleshes out the entire campus in one spread page, complete with small glimpses into each of the buildings that pop out of the windows with little dotted lines, like blow-ups of what's going on. And it was so well executed. Kershaw was just amazing here, and the colors by Geyser, 
which I am assuming is a group of people and not just like someone with a really cool name. And Dave McKaig gave this comic a cinematic feel complete with 3D shading and lens flare that was just gorgeous. Normally crap like that really bothers me when they go for the ultra realistic look and try and give you cinematic effects that you would see in like a Jerry Bruckheimer film. It, it can interrupt the art and it can make things look flatter. This worked so well here. Unlike a lot of the retro 90s extreme dark edgy BS going on in the DCU, Gotham Academy was fun. It was lighthearted and it was interesting. It reminded me of what I loved about Chuck Dixon and Fabian Nicesia's Robin series from the late 90s when I could read about a kid and not be totally turned off or insulted about how stupid it is. I'm giving this the biggest buy it I can, but please, if there are any DC executives out there listening, I don't want all my DC comics to be like this. <laughs> I just want them to be unique, fun, and worth reading like this one. Buy it. I agree. <laughs> I mean, I have nothing to add. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I, I think this book was beautifully drawn. Oh, I, man. Carl Kershaw. I love Carl Kershaw. For a while, right? I don't know what that dude. Well, I do know. That guy has. Um, Carl Kershaw does a webcomic called The Abominable. Abominable Charles Christopher. Oh, I don't know about this. And it's very well, highly, very highly regarded. And so I'm sure that that keeps him busy. But the last time I saw his art on an interior comic, I think was Wednesday Comics, when he drew Jesus. one of the strips in Wednesday Comics. That was four years ago. That was that was more than four years ago. Well, no, it? it was it was before we moved to the new location at Legend, so it was coming out in the old the old store. So it was at least six. It was no, I mean we moved in 2011. Thirty six. It was thirty six years ago. It was at least three hundred and sixty years ago. Yeah, yeah, I agree, <laughs> and. I just, I miss him, man. I have loved his work yeah, for so good. the last 10 plus years. And I just, I don't get enough of it. And, but maybe this is why, you know, we love him so much because he comes in and he just like completely blows it out of the park and then he's gone. Yeah. I hope he's not gone immediately, <laughs> like within the first five issues of Me this too. book. Definitely. I really liked it. I thought the characters were very, uh, fully realized and subtle like their personalities weren't hammered over your heads you know right and like you said they weren't annoyingly teenaged yeah you know it wasn't like an old man trying to or like yeah it, it wasn't like an old man trying to um write what teenagers like, are like omg i'm what getting a should... text on my digital telephone device <laughs> right <laughs> uh i loved it I, I i could not recommend it more it's a huge buy it from me um Becky Cloonan and Brendan Fletcher and Carl Kershaw. This is a perfect team for this book. I can't wait for more of it. Joe Patrick, why don't you tell me about the weirdest thing I read all week? Master Plasty. All right. Written and illustrated by James Harvey. It's 32 pages. It's $5.99. But calm down. <laughs> I'm going to explain it. <laughs> Here's the solicit, because I'm not really sure I could explain it any better. A modern classic, says Ronald Wimberly, creator of Prince of Cats and Black Dynamite. A young man decides to leave his college girlfriend after getting a new medical technique with, which drastically modifies the physical appearance of the human body in ways both beautiful and hideous. Will changing the outside change what's within? 
The cult online comic is finally available in print. The print debut of UK writer-artist James Harvey, beautifully illustrated in the tradition of Jamie Hewlett and Katsuhiro Otomo. Yeah, big time. That he drew Akira. Okay, there you go. Yeah, come on. Oh, well, yes, the second story is obviously yeah. very Akira-esque. And he's like one of the most important manga artists of all time. I can count on zero fingers the number of mangas I've read. Well, you've seen them. You're aware of them. I mean, I know what Akira is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what can I say about James Harvey's masterplasty? First, it's completely batshit insane. The first story is a commentary on beauty obsession presented in the most bizarre way imaginable. Tomo is a man insecure and obsessed over his appearance. So when he discovers that scientists have discovered a new form of body modification called masterplasty, he sacrifices the life he has for the life he thinks he wants with disastrous results. The second story about things going horribly wrong on Noah's Ark. I don't know. I don't even know, but it was hilarious. I'm not, that's all I can say. Second, it's gigantic. It's only 32 pages only in quotes. Uh, it's as big as an unfolded newspaper, but unlike say DC's Wednesday comics, it wasn't published folded down to comic size. I can't imagine how retailers and collectors are going to deal with this thing, but with its size comes content and a lot of it. Aside from the two dialogue stories, there's a third silent tale, surreal and beautiful. Sketchbook pages, pinups, Q&As, Masterplasty is packed with material. Third, it's just gorgeous. Harvey has such a strong command of the comics medium that reading Master Plasty was a great experience, just the act of reading it. Everything from the art style and the coloring to the layouts and the lettering is amazing. The way Harvey plays with paneling and incorporating elements like chat windows and email messages into his art is genius. His colors make the lead story look like otherworldly pop art, and like we mentioned a little earlier, the Noah's Ark story is done in that very Akira style, uh, visually speaking, with the 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 bende dots and the or the zipatone or whatever shading. Yeah. Reading Masterplasty was kind of like watching a weird art house film. I don't really know what I just read, but I know that I liked it. Buy it and don't worry about how to store it or how to keep it mint. This is the kind of comic that you just have to experience and enjoy. It's yeah. not about collecting it. Uh I should say that we got them physically at Legend, and I saw it, and it's like, oh my god, what is that? And I have to read it for the show. I have to check it out. I'm not going to try to take one home because I'll accidentally destroy it. We did get a digital copy from Image, as they do, and I read it that way. But then when I went back and looked at the full thing, it, is, it adds so much to actually see it. I only read the digital copy. And now I really want to see the physical. And I get it. And I get it. Um, if that's all you can do, I'm not even sure if it's available digitally. Um, you know, you know, know. from a retail, a retail sense. Um, but if you can get the physical, it adds so much to read it at that scale and to see how the art comes together and how he utilizes like page turns and double page spreads and, and the way panels flow from the left to the right and sometimes from down to up instead of up to down. It's crazy. It's crazy. My review was going to be a four, arguably the most important book to come out this week. And I read Master Plastic number one and had to completely change my plan. It is available in Comicsology. There you go. I mean, you got to read it. 
But if you can read it physically, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I don't have much to add to this other than like it's just an experience. It really is. Uh, it, this reminded me the first time that I bumped into a, a like Paul Pope, for example, and I went, "What is this man doing?" Yeah, right. <laughs> like, it, it's it's bizarre. It's completely whacked out. It is amazingly illustrated, and he just highlights what he can do. It's very manga inspired. Yeah, it's no definitely doubt. definitely but not manga like cartoony in any way. I mean, like old school manga art. Right. And this guy, he's amazing. His style is absolutely amazing. The story is completely bizarre. It is worth it just to be blown away by the experience. Just to look at it. Huge buy it for me too. Yeah. So that's a double buy it for both Gotham Academy number one and the Master Plasty one shot. Of course, we want to know what you gifted youngsters and unrecognizable plastic surgery disasters thought of these comics. So hit us up over at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at twitternerd.com. You are so beautiful. It happened. Someone walked into a hospital in Texas with blood pouring out of their eyes, and the attendant physician sent them home with antibiotics. Instead of asking one simple question, were you in Africa recently? Now Ebola is here, and I've put escape plan Zeta into play. So what happened to Alpha through whatever? They didn't work. So join Beeps, Joe, and myself as we head for our escape craft. What about Mabel and Casey? There's no room. We belt ourselves in and review 10 more of this week's new comics while heading into low Earth orbit to watch from a safe distance as the rage virus sweeps across the planet during the ludicrous speed round. I think you might already have it. There's no time to argue. Ludicrous speed, go! Thor, number one from Marvel. The new Thor is here, and at the moment, it's a lot like the old Thor. That's certainly not a bad thing, though. Jason Aaron and artist Russell Dowderman bring us the new reality for the unworthy Thor. Don't expect a lot of answers just yet, but I'm really liking what I'm seeing so far, and Dowderman is a great fit for the new God of Thunder. I will say this, uh, that I was going to put in my full review. Do they reveal who it is? No. They don't reveal anything yet? Nope. Good lord. It's a mystery. I was going to talk about this in my full review. There is a letters page at the end with uh, two letters in it. One, the typical like angry, angry fan response to the news of the new Thor. And the second, letter of appreciation to Marvel and the creative team for taking this chance on on a female Thor uh, and what Thor in particular means to her and what this has, uh, how this has affected her. I'm telling you what, by the end of it, I was crying. Holy hell. Yeah, I know. Uh, so Yeah, but you're a big... My ass. Okay. That the damnation of Charlie Wormwood, number one from Dynamite. If you like Breaking Bad, you are going to love this comic. Writer Christina Blanche and Chris Carr give us the story of Charlie Wormwood, a college professor working with prisoners to better themselves. Charlie has a terminally ill child, and the medical bills are piling up. So when he's offered easy work from one of his quote students, how can he say no? This is great feel bad comic booking with very solid black and white art. By someone named Chi. Yeah, Chi. I remember Chi from way back. I don't remember no Chi. Chi did one of the first ever Walking Dead ripoff comics. Oh, really? Yeah, like Steve Nile. When Walking Dead was a hit, oh, okay. IDW was like, quick, Steve Niles, write something. The marching uh, zombie. Uh, I think it was called <laughs> Remains, maybe. Oh, I remember Remains. Yeah, yeah. Chi. Yeah. 
Well, I'm giving this a buy it. I liked it. I liked it too. Green Arrow number 35 from DC. Have you found yourself wishing that the Green Arrow comic would stop being so amazing and start being more like the TV show? Then you're in luck. Arrow producers Andrew Kreisberg and Ben Sokolowski and artist Daniel Sampier take the reins from Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino this issue. It isn't horrible, but it isn't memorable either. And while it has some fun moments, it is the Arrow show in comic form, the end. I couldn't care less. That is not something I'm interested in reading. Skim it. Yay, they've killed Green Arrow. <laughs> Look, he was dead before Jeff Lemire I came suppose, around. So. I suppose. Bucky Barnes, Winter Soldier, number one from Marvel. Writer Ailes Cott and Marco Rudy have gone out of their f***ing minds. This story opens with Bucky essentially killing Xenu, the secret alien leader of the Church of Scientology. Whoa. They don't name him as such, but they throw out some Scientology stuff that I went, wait a minute, I know what's going on here. <laughs> And the aliens look suspiciously like the aliens in the end of that, that 80s movie, Explorers. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> I know exactly look, what you mean. just like them. With luscious red lips. Rudy makes Storanko's work on Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. look level-headed here with his strange painted style. It was almost a little hard to follow, but it was so beautiful. The characters, I think he I worked loved it. way too hard to keep the characters obscured, and it made it a little difficult to read. It was a little but difficult to read. Stunning. Parts, but stunning. Absolutely amazing. This comic was just as nuts as Ailes Cott told us it was going to be, and I loved it. Plus, Cott snuck the names of several industrial musicians and bands like Trent Reznor and Merzbau, a Japanese noise artist. I feel like Cott and I would get along like two peas and a little f***ed up pod, and I can't wait to read more of this. I'm giving this a buy-in. It, it was, was so weird. F***ing awesome, though. Men of Wrath, number one from Marvel slash Icon. That is apparently still a thing. Yep, yep. <laughs> Jason Aaron and Ron Garney give the Icon imprint another reason to live in their new creator-owned series. It's just as solidly written and drawn as you'd expect, but I wasn't drawn in as quickly or immediately as I was with Aaron's other violent Deep South take, Southern Bastards. Don't get me wrong, I'm into it. It may take a little longer to connect with the Wrath family, but I'm willing to make the effort by it. Cutter, number one, from Image, slash Top Cow, slash Minotaur Press. I still don't understand Let's what Let's just is. say Image. <laughs> this seems to be a revenge story as told from the point of view of Jeremy Samuels, our hero. Something happened to Samuels in high school and a girl he knew was killed. Now, she seems to be back from the dead and reaping her revenge on those involved. Unfortunately, the creative team relies a little too much on shock moments that barely work in horror films anymore. Wait. You know, like when all of a sudden it's like... the Cutter? Well, there's what they're leading us to believe. Is she a secret cutter? But we don't know. Like every time she kills someone, she cuts herself. Ooh. And there's like stuff that jumps out like, oh my God, she's got a knife. But it's on a comic book page. So it's like, oh, I see someone has a knife in the next panel. Let me get there. Okay, she's got a knife. You know? <laughs> yeah, I totally get it. It just doesn't work. Like, you just can't help but see yeah, like that is, most of the page. That is something that does not work in the comic book form. Unless you're going to do, like, a, the page turn thing. Right. It, it, yeah. This wasn't poorly written, but I just could not get invested, and I really did not love the art. It was black and white, and it just was a little too stiff for me. I can only give us a skin. Green Lantern slash New Gods colon Godhead. Number one from DC. <laughs> Where's your balls joke now? I've stayed away from the Green Lantern line completely since Jeff Johns left, and I've found myself kind of missing it. 
I thought that this seemed like a fun place to jump back in, and I wasn't completely wrong. This is bombastic cosmic adventure with a kind of throwback feel like in the way it's presented in the dialogue. I like the idea that the new gods are so much more badass than anyone ever imagined, but I'm not too keen on a version of the characters where they just run roughshod over the universe without regard to the beings that live there. Lots of cooks in the kitchen, artistically, some great, some not so much, but I enjoyed the read overall. Skim it. Sherlock Holmes versus Harry Houdini, number one from Dynamite. Only Dynamite can take one of the most interesting fictional characters of all time and one of the most interesting historical figures of all time, put them in the same story, and make it boring. This wasn't bad, but I guarantee you, you can guess the entire story. In true comic fashion, when two heroes get together, they butt heads briefly, and then they team up. But they never even butt heads here. This was boring, kind of predictable, and I'm getting tired of that house look of all their historic art. Skim it. Meh. Guardians 3000, number one from Marvel. Speaking of bombastic throwback cosmic action, the original Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> are back. Were we talking about that? I was <laughs> oh, in you the were. Godhead oh, sorry. <laughs> the original Guardians of the Galaxy are back along with writer Dan Abnett. Time is broken and the Guardians are caught in the middle. It's a fun, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey idea, but I struggled. I like timey-wimey. Yeah, that's a Doctor Who. Oh. You should watch it. Okay. But I struggled with the art by Gerardo Sandoval, the guy that Randy Andrews said used to be a Joe Madureira clone. Okay. Guess what? <laughs> Still trying real hard. Well, good for him. And the dialogue is full of so much faux future slang that it was borderline insufferable. I had to try to I had to just put this book down and try to read it three times. Like, oh, Anakin, that's so wizard. <laughs> sort of, sort of. <laughs> I want this book to be good and I love the premise, but I had a hard time with it. I can deal with the art if Abnet tones down the dialogue. For now, though, skim it. Lobo, number one from DC. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I was a gigantic fan of Keith Giffen's Lobo back in the day, but I am aware of him, and I didn't mind when he showed up. You know what I don't give a shit about? The new Jonas Brother Lobo. Don't <laughs> care about him at all. And the first thing they do is, like, make sure that Joe you Brown. know we have tamed this character down. He's actually sort of a nice guy. You know, like, I don't give a shit. When you take away the thing that makes Lobo Lobo, it's no longer Lobo, and I don't care. And I need to know why Cullen Bunn has the superhuman ability of making me hate everything that he writes for Marvel or DC, but love his Oni work. I don't get it. This sucks. And in a sense that it wasn't even bad, it was just mediocre. Now, separate it from the character of Lobo. What if it wasn't Lobo? What if his name was Steve the Bounty Hunter? Still wouldn't care. Okay. It's just another, like, I'm a badass, and I wear kind of a badass outfit, and I say sort of badass things that might remind you of another badass. They neutered the main man and made him palatable and cute. Leave it. That is your ludicrous speed round, and ping is the sound of a scary email showing up in Jeremy Samuel's email box, as seen in this week's issue of The Cutter. It just wasn't scary. Sorry. 
While the rest of the earth chokes and dies, gurgling its own blood, Matt, myself, and Beeps, I guess we abandoned our wives and other dogs. There was no time. We'll be orbiting the planet, watching the chaos ensue from the confines of the low-orbiting Sanctum Sanctorum. I had retrofitted into an escape pod, hearing of our plight. The Super Scroll was kind enough to drop by with some seriously psychedelic alien fungus that will allow our brains to change shape and see what would have been hitting the new comic stands next week had not all of the comic creators died horribly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the world, the I mean world that's ended. obvious. Well, I mean, they were out there, but UPS isn't going to deliver them because everybody's dead. I got it. <laughs> Matt. We can go back at a later date. Sure, <laughs> sure, <Fine>. sure. <laughs> Matt. What were you looking forward to reading before Ebola destroyed society as we knew it? I am super excited for Batgirl number 35 from DC, written by Brendan Fletcher, whose name you may recognize from Gotham Academy, along with Cameron Stewart, and art by Babs Tarr. Do you think Babs actually goes by Babs, or they were like, hey, you're working on Barbara Gordon's book. You should totally be Babs instead of Barbara. No, she's like a, well, she's an illustrator. Like, she That's already has straight a, up a presence in the art world, yeah. Totally nuts. I love it. She does like fashion design. Barbara Gordon is no stranger to dusting herself off when disaster strikes. So, when a fire destroys everything she owned, she spots an opportunity for a new lease on life and seizes it. Following the rest of Gotham's young adults to the hip border district of Burnside, Barbara sets about building an all new Batgirl and discovers all new threats preying on her peers. It's a reinvention of Batgirl from the boots up! I already told you the creative team. We already railed about how great this is going to be. We're excited about it. I'm done with the other Batgirl stuff. I'm in for a new Batgirl. I don't care that people are saying like, oh, so there's going to be a DH like 10 years or whatever. Fun fact. People are, generally speaking, not very pleased about the preview that's already been released. Just the way it's presented, like the writing and, and um, some maybe accidental sexist overtones, like, we're not going to get into it here. It's going to be interesting to see. Hmm. It's going to be interesting to see how it turns out, what it's all about, how people react to it. Right now, that now that some of it has has gone out, people are not reacting maybe in the way that we were expecting. Huh. Well, yeah. we'll see. I'm excited for it. I think we'll it looks see. great. I think it looks great. I, I love sexism, great. though. And sexist writing? <laughs> right up my alley. Yeah, we all know that. <laughs> Joe Patrick, what is your pick for next week? Look, I couldn't help it. I'm sorry, okay? My pick for next week is Avengers and X-Men, colon, Axis. Don't f***ing apologize. Number Screw one. Screw you, Justin not- O'Connor. We like superhero comics. Look, I like superhero comics. I like event comics. I have been saying for months that I think Axis sounds like tons of it fun. It looks awesome. And I know that we say that in front of every event and are ultimately disappointed, but this is the one. I'm giving this one a <laughs> chance to disappoint me all new. It's true. Here's your solicit. Well, okay, it's written by Rick Remender with art by Adam Kubert, covered by Jim Chung. Here's your solicit. Act one, the red supremacy. The red, oh wait. Bullet. The Red Skull has exploited the gifts of the world's greatest telepath to broadcast pure hatred across the globe. Now, born of the murder of Charles Xavier, world war hate has begun. That is a hell of a title. Bullet! Tony Stark discovers a secret truth that will upend not only his life, but also the lives of everyone he cares for. Bullet! Can the Avengers and the X-Men finally unite? Would their combined strength be enough to hold back the darkness of the Red Onslaught? Bullet! 
Magneto murdered the wrong man. I guess in the pages of Magneto. Um, what? <laughs> Releasing the greatest evil the Marvel Universe has ever known. Now, Rogue and Scarlet Witch are all that stand in its way. I think this sounds great. I'm excited for what's to come from Axis. Yeah. This might end up being like all Marvel events that tank it at the you know at the one yard line. Right. They fumble the ball, but they're not there yet. I think that this sounds like a good time. And at the very least, I'm excited at the promise of it. Yeah, so I agree. I agree. It had to be my pick. The THN Trade of the Week goes to She-Hulk, Volume 1, Law and Disorder, from Marvel Comics. Written by Charles Soule, with art by Javier Polito, Ronald Wim- and Ronald Wimberly. Jennifer Walters is the She-Hulk. You probably know that. If you don't, shame on you. A stalwart member of the Avengers and the Fantastic Four. She's also a killer attorney with a pile of degrees and professional respect. But juggling cases and kicking bad guy balls is a little more complicated than she anticipated. With a new practice, a new paralegal, and a mounting number of supervillains. She's racking up as personal enemies. She-Hulk might have bitten off more than she can chew. When Christoph Vernard... The son of Victor Von Doom seeks extradition. It's an international jailbreak. She-Hulk style. Then, She-Hulk and Hellcat must uncover the secrets of the Blue File, a conspiracy that touches the entire Marvel Universe. And when someone important to She-Hulk is killed. Something's missing. Dear Marvel, looking for a copy editor? My name's Matt Baum. Because here's what you have written. And when someone important to She-Hulk is killed, comma, and won't let it stand, dash, but who can she trust? <laughs> I'm sure that makes sense. Whoa! (laughs) I don't know. This collects She-Hulk 2014, number one through six. It's been fantastic so far. Joey and I both love the She-Hulk, and it's not because she's a big green porn star. She's not a big green porn star. No, she's not. David Goyer. Eat that, David Goyer. If you're not choking on your own blood and have yet to show any symptoms, let us know what you're reading next week if you can find... An overturned UPS truck. Sure. Over at the THN forums. And please don't click that button unless you're absolutely not showing any symptoms. We don't need anything like that infecting the THN forums. You can't transfer Ebola through the internet. I don't know how this works. I'm just terrified and reacting, okay? (laughs) In the comic book justice system, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups. The nerds who buy comics and the podcasters and bloggers who review them. These are their stories. Today on The Defenders, Ryan Mount is stepping in front of the two-headed judge to give his defense of Mark Webb's much-maligned second film in his Spider-Man franchise, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Please rise for the honorable two-headed judge, Joe and Matt. It is our understanding that the defendant, a Mr. Ryan Mount, believes that The Amazing Spider-Man movie did not, in fact, suck. Mr. Mount, please approach the bench and present your argument. Hi, this is Ryan, a.k.a. Hebrews on the Forums, calling in with the Defenders. Today I am here to defend The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Just came out on Blu-ray this week, and uh, I gotta say I really the enjoyed really it. really backlogged. I think a lot of its criticism <laughs> is of uh, unwarranted, and I actually think it's one of the better superhero movies to come out, uh, especially the non-Marvel ones. I'm going to start with... Uh, The villains, which seems to be one of the most criticized part. The villains, the dialogue was not strong. And, you know, again, this isn't a perfect movie, but the villains I liked in this one because the arcs made sense. Uh, One of the things I don't like about the X-Men movies at all is some of it just 
doesn't make sense. Why Mystique goes back and forth and back and forth in those, I, I still don't understand. And that's a longtime reader of the comics and, and understanding the character, I just don't get. The villains here, the dialogue wasn't great, but everything they did seemed to make sense and it was building towards something. You know, they needed something to have in the middle so you could kind of progress the story along. And, um, you know, I think comics do that all the time. You know, it's it's never... It's these small characters that have these roles that build towards something bigger. And if we never see Jamie Foxx again, like that's that's okay. They serve their purpose. So the villains, although the dialogue wasn't best, everything made perfect sense of, you know, their motivations and where were they going. And, uh, you know, the acting wasn't bad. It was just a little bit of dialogue malfunction, we'll say. The best point of this whole movie was uh, was Gwen Stacy. It just... She's the first character in a comic book movie that I'm really rooting for. And, like, towards the end, when you know she was going to die, sorry, spoiler, I didn't want them to kill her. And I don't think I felt that way in almost any movie. And I will say, I I mean, I watched this before Guardians of the Galaxy. So, like, I just, I wanted them to be Hollywood. And because she was so popular, not to kill her. And I remember seeing myself rooting for her. And uh, I hadn't really done that with a whole lot of super. Like, I loved watching, you know, some of the Marvel, Captain America, Thor. Like, it's great, but I didn't root for them the way that I did with Gwen Stacy. And it had been a while since I had done so. So, you know, hands down, it's one of the best roles to, you know, just a character that has long been forgotten by a lot of people and certainly for younger audiences almost never, ever know. So, like, Gwen Stacy just knocked it out of the park and uh, really, really liked Emma Stone in that. Next, Spider-Man. I will admit that I am, uh, you know, up until Superior Spider-Man was never really a monthly Spider-Man. But my Spider-Man when I got back into comics was the Brian Michael Bendis, you know, occasionally Ultimate Spider-Man, but a lot of the new Avengers. You know, he'd come in, he'd pop in for a joke, was smart, um, you know, and I, I... I felt like that was the Spider-Man I was watching. So it's kind of the Spider-Man that I really came to know in comics. You know, growing up, I wasn't even a huge Spider-Man fan. But when I got back in the comics, like, that felt like my Spider-Man. Andrew Garfield was great. Um, And also, too, like, you know, after years of people complaining about Mark Bagley's hair in Ultimate Spider-Man, like, in this (laughs) movie, it all made sense. And, uh, you know, seeing it, I kind of got a a laugh out of it. So I liked it. And... uh, what I'm going to say is another really great strong point, and probably my last one, is the ending of the movie. The ending literally felt like, and this might be blasphemous, Empire Strikes Back. Ooh. It just ended on such a dark note, and then, you know, Objection. you're left there, but then there's that tiny little scene at the end. It happens in Empire, you know, you remember the dark parts, but then there's that nice little light scene, and... uh it totally had it in this movie. It was dark, and then it had that nice build towards the next movie, like, what's going to happen? That scene when they walked into the armory and there were all the Sinister Six suits and that type of thing, like, I got really excited. Like, I could not wait for another Spider-Man movie. And, uh, again, with all the Marvel movies, I really like them, and I'm always excited that they're coming out, but I never immediately am like, okay, I need to go see you know, the next one, like, what's the next one going to be? Um, that is until Guardians of the Galaxy, I, I will admit, like, I cannot wait for number two for that one. But this one, I cannot wait for Amazing Spider-Man 3. 
Um, I think it's going to be awesome. I don't know what the other movies are going to look like, but I am all in on this franchise, and this is coming. Like, I did not like the original Spider Sam Raimi Spider-Mans. I thought they were terrible movies. I could not stand them. This, you know, small little sample that Sony's doing, I think is great, um, and I am totally on board. And I think for a lot of people that are giving this movie a lot of problems, I think overall it's really, really great. Um, you know, it, it's certainly not a plus material, but you know, B plus good Sunday watch, you know, uh, I totally loved it. I think it's a great overall movie and, uh, that's why I'm defending it. So thanks so much. And again, uh, talk to you guys soon. All right. Order, order in the court order. I demand right. that everyone that <laughs> submits to the defenders end their calls with case closed. <laughs> The no, defense rests. I rest my case, Your Honor. <laughs> yeah, or the defense rests, yeah. <laughs> Take your seats, people. Take your seats. I realize that what the defendant has to say could be construed as inflammatory. <laughs> let's start Let's start at the beginning and work through what Ryan had to say here. Okay. Let's start with the villains. All right. Ryan said their dialogue had some issues. I could not agree more. <laughs> right. I thought the kid that played Harry Osborne was not only unconvincing as Harry Osborne unconvincing as a human being <laughs> perhaps i did not get what he was trying to do at uh, all with the peter i need to talk to spider-man because his blood is gonna save me like what is wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> and i'm sorry but he, ryan you said that you felt that the motives of the characters made sense and moved the story along. Let's just talk about Electro's motive for a second. <laughs> Electro, Jamie Foxx, an actor that I like. I think Jamie Foxx is very talented, and I don't think Jamie Foxx did a bad job here. I thought he looked good as Electro. I thought the effects of him flying around really cool. I'd like to know how his suit disappeared when he turned into electricity and then reappeared on his body. But comic books. <laughs> yeah, I'm suspending my disbelief there. As far as I can tell, Electro became a supervillain that wanted to rule New York City and be a god because he didn't have any friends. Yeah. The end. Wouldn't you? He was mad at Spider-Man because he thought Spider-Man was his friend. But it turns out Spider-Man didn't even remember him when he bumped into him again. Equals supervillain. <laughs> Come on. Really? You're mad because he's not your friend? And I'm sorry, but that in the final fight scene where they played the itsy bitsy spider oh, no. on the electric pinball machine no. that they're flying around in, that was so dumb. Yeah, it was dumb. That was so dumb. And the rhino. Let's talk about the rhino's motivation. Okay, all right, all right, all right. Let's talk about his motivation. The rhino is a criminal. That's the end. That's his motivation. Pretty the much. The end. Bad guy. And I'm fine with it. Which I actually liked the rhino. I love it when comic book movies do this thing where it's like, hey, they are in a world where there are supervillains. They aren't always like the A-plus supervillain. Right, and I was going to say. Like in The Dark Knight when Scarecrow shows up. In the first five minutes, and Batman just busts him. Yeah, I love that. I and I'm love fine that. with that too. And I don't. I didn't have a problem with the Rhino in this movie. I did not have a problem with it. What I had a problem was the way that Paul Giamatti 
acted as the rhino. He was Russian. Was terrible. What do you mean? <laughs> Just terrible. It was fine. And why'd they have to put guns on the rhino's suit? That's Look, dumb. it's not going to be the rhino. I get it, I get it, you know, I get it. String augmenting and whatever. Moving along. It had to be a tank. I thought the rhino part was fine. I liked it how it bookended the movie. I thought the I rhino really was liked the easily rhino the best villain that they had there. Most believable. <laughs> yes, right? Yes, certainly. Gwen? Uh, the Green Goblin. Let's real quick put a button on the villain thing. I thought that everything to do with the Green Goblin was, was terrible. completely terrible. tacked on. Absolutely terrible. You they get- spent the whole movie leading up to him becoming the Green Goblin, and then literally in the last 10 minutes of the movie, he shows up, kills Gwen Stacy, the end. Perfect example of how they chose to go back and reshoot this movie so it can lead into the Sinister Six. This movie was a mess. It really was just a mess and you can tell that they went back and put in all this harry osborne stuff leading up to him turning into the green goblin crap well, because, i don't like, know about that it but... just didn't even fit it didn't fit at all they had the electro thing it was done that was obviously the big fight in the movie and then they're like no wait there's another big fight <laughs> like, and right. then harry osborne just shows up cackling with terrible hair and like i'm sorry but the first time Say what you will about the Sam Raimi movies. I admit the first Spider-Man has its flaws. It's definitely dated. The second Spider-Man... They don't hold up for sure. The second one, I still very much enjoy, and I think was a lot of fun. The third one, terrible. But the Green Goblin in Sam Raimi's first Spider-Man, way better than this one. No doubt about it. And I'm not just talking about performance. I'm talking about motivation, the reason he became who he is, everything, start to finish. Harry Osborn in this was terrible. Just terrible. Yeah, it was bad. Poorly thought out. Poorly. It was just bad. All right, all right. Let's not be. Okay, okay, okay. Let's move on to the next thing. Gwen. I like Gwen. I agree she that was Gwen great. was great. She was great. She's great in the first one. She's great in this Best one. part of the movie. And in fact, the only thing that really kept me in the movie were the Gwen and Peter. If the whole movie had been about Gwen and Peter, I would have been perfectly happy. Yeah. I would have been perfectly fine in with In the that. same way that like they could, uh, Brian Bendis could give us entire issues of Ultimate Spider-Man, where he doesn't put on his costume. Yeah. I don't care. It's that well done. Totally. Uh, Spidey, I didn't have an issue with. I thought Andrew Garfield, again, did a really good job. Yeah, here. I think he's funny. I think there yeah. are some funny parts. He has some fun quips. Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> like, he tries to convince Aunt May that he was cleaning the chimney, the non-existent chimney. Like, that made me like, laugh. You don't have a chimney. He goes, what? what? <laughs> yeah, I, I, even, I love that. Yeah, he was great. He really was. The problem was this script was just so bad. It was it's, so bad. It's and rough. like it's rough. You can tell they went in halfway through and went, guys, we gotta expand this into a bigger Spidey universe. So we're gonna reshoot a bunch yeah, of this. Yeah, Marvel and, Studios and is kicking our some butt. of this in here. Yeah. And like it, it just felt like three different movies crushed into one movie. Now it's funny that you say that because very recently Andrew Garfield was kind of in the in the news for uh going on talk shows or being interviewed or somewhere where he essentially threw the studio under the bus. Yeah. Like, I don't know his exact wording and I'm sure it wasn't inflammatory, but he essentially said that Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 2 ended up being a different movie than it started out being because of what the studio wanted, not what the creators wanted. And I totally buy it because this does look like a movie that was made by committee. Definitely. And that's their right, but they ended up making a far weaker movie. Like, if you watch this one compared it's, to the first... It's a mess. Amazing Spider-Man, the first one, I really enjoyed, though it's got its flaws. I really like that movie. This was just a pale shadow of that first movie. Yeah. 
It, it really was. It, it, it tried to do too Mark, much. Mark Webb is really good and showed us he can make a good Spider-Man film. I know there were some people that did not like the first one. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought it was, you know, like the thing with the lizard was a little rickety, but not terrible. Here, it, this was just a mess. This was an absolute mess. And I'm sorry, you, you say the ending reminded you of The Empire Strikes Back. I cannot disagree more. In the sense that they set up a, a larger story, I'll I suppose, give you that, but, but it just felt so tacked on. It's like I could see the point in the film where they said, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to do this instead. <laughs> like, yeah, that's absolutely and, true. Like the big fight and the clock tower and everything was just ridiculous and dumb and we didn't need it. And you just got out of a huge fight with Electro that was already like a perfect just ending for the film. I feel I, like it was just so thrown together it just I'm gonna, didn't work i'm gonna put this out there and we will probably never know but i think that the actual the fact that gwen stacy actually died was probably not the original intention of this movie that's what i'm saying there's no way there's no way they had that planned yeah i mean and you can tell you can absolutely tell in the film the way that they were doing it and going for it it's just like, and then they're like, okay, oh. if you want me to switch gears and do that, and I'll do it. I will <laughs> tell know? you, I could also tell you exactly the moment they telegraphed the fact that she was going to die when she decides not to go to Europe. Yeah. Where Absolutely. He, where he chases her down and, and she decides to say, Absolutely. I said, I whispered to Dave, DeMarco, occasional guest host. We were sitting next to each other. Well, she's dead. Oh, yeah. She's dead. You know, and I just watched this for the first time last night. I hadn't seen the movie and I knew that she died and everything, but I, so I kind of could see it. From that point of view or where, and I totally agree. He did the, I love you on the bridge and everything. Yeah. And I was like, oh, they went back and added this. Yeah. They absolutely went back and added this just to twist the knife when she dies. Yeah. Not to mention best looking broken neck corpse ever. <laughs> <laughs> like Emma Stone with a broken neck oh. or back. Still well, gorgeous, man. <laughs> and just real quick to talk about her death, not to belabor the point, but the original death of Gwen Stacy there was a lot of like uncertainty about it. Like, like what happened? Did she break her neck because Spider-Man tried to save her? Like, was it the webbing? Was it the sudden stop that broke her neck? Like, would, could she have saved her really? No, she like whacked the ground. I mean. it, no, in the comic, I mean. Oh, right. But in the movie, yeah. there is absolutely no subtlety. No, it's bonk. He just <laughs> failed. <laughs> yeah. And so he slowed her just enough that she didn't turn into a smear. I guess. But she's like, like he kept her corpse pretty cute. Yeah, <laughs> it's about like, it. <laughs> it was so jarring and it was unnecessary. Yeah, I really. <sighs> yeah, this might be the first time that I actually rule against the defendant. I've got bad news for you, Ryan, but I think our <laughs> verdict is in. We don't have to go into the judges' quarters. We don't have to talk about it. It's unanimous. Yeah, Amazing Spider-Man Two is f-ing awful. We are reviewing it as. F- awful i hope we don't use you lose you as a listener i think you have the best name on the forums with hebrews i love it we respect you for coming on the show ryan but unfortunately it takes guts it takes guts we're sending you to nerd prison for the rest of your life thank you for playing or at least until sinister six comes out (laughs) if you have questionable nerd tastes like ryan and think you have a case to present in front of the two-headed judge email us at twoheadednerd at gmail.com or go to the forums and post in the defenders section. Step forward and be judged. Sort of break it, break it down like this. 
And that is it for episode 180 of THN. If you can't believe we're still doing this weekly, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Semi-weekly. Where we still need your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your hearts because it helps us connect with other potential listeners. Thank you to all of our donors. You've helped build the escape craft that will ensure that this show lives on while the Earth dies screaming. And if you want to help pay for heat shields and rocket fuel, you can do so by clicking our space-worthy PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. If you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box if the internet still works in a post-Ebola world. I've heard that PayPal's already sealed their doors. So As little as a dollar a month really does go a long way. And if you're interested in sponsoring this disappointment of a podcast, shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. While you're there... You can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this astronomical list of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read, hit us with your Ask a Nerd question or trivia, or defend your questionable nerd taste in front of the two-headed judge, just like Ryan did today, or you can ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, stamped into a cornfield and only visible from outer space, whatever and don't forget to go sign up for the THN forums it's your now I feel like you're not even giving them a chance well it fits with our space theme sorry Brian DuPont remember to sign up for the THN forums it's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show post videos of your homemade escape pod or just rap about comedy remember to follow us on Twitter like our Facebook page and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion and then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the answer of the week podcast but if you need more THN in your life right now, get over to twoheadednerd.com and check out weekly ludicrous speed reviews by Aaron Myers. What's he pissed about this week? <laughs> you know what? Jeez. He was feeling pretty good this oh, week. Oh, really? Yeah. I guess the meds are working. Saturday morning cartoons coming up. Captain Planet. Oh. Captain Planet. He's our hero. This is back when we knew that Tom Cruise was gay. Right. <laughs> before uh, he went back in the closet. <laughs> also before <laughs> Ebola ravaged the planet. True. True. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah. Go to Twitter.com. There's stuff there's stuff there. Next week it's time again to play Ask a Nerd, where we answer one lucky listener's burning comic book question or comic book soothsayer Joe Patrick will rise to your comic trivia challenge. We haven't had a trivia challenge for a while, guys. Come on. Hit us. Come on. It's okay. I Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to George Brett and the Kansas City Royals, who are going to the playoffs for the first time since 1985. Word to you, boys. I hate the Angels, and it's not just for religious reasons. Wow. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. Not in this. And no, sir. Not anymore, I guess. Not with this going around. And with the last person leaving the planet of the Earth. Please turn off the lights. This is the two-headed nerd signing off forever. <laughs> no, we're gonna continue to broadcast. Oh, to somebody. Yeah. yeah.